Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here. We're going to continue a series we've been in for a number of weeks now. What if Jesus was serious? And we've been looking at some of the most challenging teaching of Jesus that would make people want to say, are we supposed to take that seriously? (laughs) Some of the hardest teaching of Jesus to take seriously by most people, both in his day right down to today. It is this Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It spans over three chapters, and uh, it's really challenging. And we've been kind of going through these first eight statements that are called the Beatitudes, where Jesus is basically telling us uh, there's this open accessibility to the kingdom of heaven, like his realm, his citizenship into this spiritual kingdom that we can be a part of right now and that we will be a part of forever and ever, uh, that there is an eternal kingdom that is, starts now and will last forever, and he's inviting people into it. In these first eight statements, he's basically saying, this is whom to whom this, the kingdom is open. These are the kinds of people that I'm welcoming into my kingdom. And he's talking about people who are poor in spirit. I mean, that are devastated by life, that are spiritually bankrupt. People who are mourning, that are sad, that are brokenhearted. People that are meek, that are humble. People that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness or justice in the world and in themselves. We talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to turn our attention to this next statement he makes where Jesus really kind of uncovers what I believe is maybe one of the number one ways that people sabotage their relationship with God, that they forget or they miss or they misunderstand this connection, this inseparable link that Jesus teaches right here in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5. This is such a powerful truth. If we begin to get it, we get to own it and understand it. So let's take a moment, let's take a look at it, and we're going to spend the next several minutes together to really try to understand how do we take this and make it a part of our life and let it challenge us because Jesus is serious, okay? Let's take a look together. Blessed are the, let's say it together, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So the first question that we really need to ask is, what does he mean by mercy? What does this word mean? What did the people who are listening to it at that moment know that it meant in that context. So let me just give you a brief definition. Mercy simply means compassion for the needy, for people in need, okay? And when I say compassion for people in need, I don't just mean a feeling, like, oh, I I feel compassionate towards people who are in need, right? No, that it is a feeling that moves you to action, that it is something that prompts us to do something about it, that it's not just a feeling, that it's something that makes us put that compassion into action, okay? So the question you might be asking, if you're not, we're going to go ahead and ask it anyway, is mercy different from grace? Because we talk about grace a lot in the New Testament, that's a theme that's throughout the New Testament. So are these different? And if they are, how are they different? So let's talk about that for just a minute, okay? 
So grace, they are different by the way. Grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. In other words, grace is what's given when the recipient of the grace totally does not deserve it in any way, shape, or form, okay? Now, mercy's a little different. Mercy is a loving response prompted by misery and helplessness. It is seeing someone stuck in a situation and you go, she's never gonna be able to get herself out of that. He can't get himself out of it. They're gonna need some help. Like, they need help right now. And I can offer that help. And when you step in and offer the help, you're offering mercy. And when you do that, you're doing something that reflects God because he is a merciful God. So to put it another way, grace answers the undeserving the way that mercy answers the miserable. Now, sometimes mercy is given to the miserable and they also are undeserving. Like those can overlap, no doubt about it. Matter of fact, you'll see many of the Psalms of the Old Testament where David is saying, God, show your mercy and your grace to me. Like I need both. I need both like a lot right now. And maybe you've had prayers like that. And maybe today you'll have prayers like that. So, but this is important to understand. There is a little distinction here, but what Jesus is essentially saying is that blessed are those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. He's saying, as much as he's saying, if you show mercy, you're gonna get mercy, he's also saying the opposite. By saying, making the statement, he's saying those who fail to show mercy are people who fail to see their need for mercy. And those who fail to see their need for mercy have some messed up spiritual vision going on. Let me put it another way. Jesus is saying that anyone who, who is not, who's not merciful is unaware of their spiritual state. They really don't understand the way in which they stand before God. They, they, they have a kind of an unclear view of themselves. And they think they need no mercy. People that don't give mercy don't think they need mercy. And Jesus is saying, and that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem in their own heart. And, and I want to kind of unpack that over the next couple of minutes by sharing a story, a powerful story that Jesus used to teach the deeper understandings, the deeper truths of this issue. It was a parable called the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee or the Pharisee and the tax collector, okay? And it's found over in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So I'm going to unpack that for you over the next couple of minutes because this is a parable that is all about mercy. Who gets it from God and who doesn't get it from God? Now, I'll remind you again, last week we talked about parable. Parable, or the Greek word for parable, literally means to throw two things alongside each other and make comparisons. And that's what Jesus was doing all the time. When he told these stories, he was trying to take something that was familiar, especially to his audience of his day, and show how there is a correlation with the unseen realm of God in the kingdom of heaven and how those connect. Like, he's gonna show us something we can relate with so that we can understand something we can't necessarily relate with without him explaining this, okay? So here's how it begins. And I love that um, Luke in particular likes to, to give us a little, quick little background. Like, um, I think it'd be good for you as a listener or a reader 
whether you're in the 21st century or the first century, to know why is Jesus telling the story? Like, that's always good to know the why, right? To know the, the, the rationale or the reason for this, this parable. And here's what he says in the first verse of verse 9. He says, to some who were confident of their own, let's say it together, their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. He's saying, so just so you know, he's telling a story because Jesus was picking up on like his spidey sense, like his Jesus sense. He, he's like, I can see some of you really think that you're something special, right? Like you're like, I don't really need forgiveness or grace. I don't nearly need mercy. I, I think I'm good, you know? And he's like, okay, I think there's some distortion going on here. And I love this definition here he gave, gives us basically, to some who are confident of their own righteousness. That is like a beautiful definition of self-righteousness, that you're overconfident about your own righteousness, which means you are underconfident of other people's. In other words, you overestimate your own abilities and you underestimate other people. You overestimate yourself and underestimate others. That's what pride does. That's what self-righteousness does. So Jesus is saying, I know that you all have a tendency to be self-righteous at times, me included, right? We all have a tendency. There's all moments where we catch ourselves going, wow, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. I'm, I'm being pretty uh, judgmental and pretty harsh, pretty mean towards somebody else. I think I know. And he's saying, so let me just tell you a quick little story. So the next verse tells us, so Jesus tells this parable. He told this parable. And here's how it begins. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So two guys, he sets up the story like this. They're in Jerusalem, the center of Jerusalem, the center of worship for the, the you know, for the Jews, for the, the you know, um, Judaism and that entire community was there. It was a place of prayer and worship throughout the day. So people would come in there and pray throughout the day. So this was not uncommon. And he picks these two men that represent two different groups that are inside this community. And everybody who's listening would have known about these groups, all right? And what is happening right here is Jesus, and he knows this is happening. People are going to quickly but wrongly assume, oh, I know who the hero of this story is going to be, and I know who the villain's going to be. Because the Pharisees were like the epitome of holiness back then, or at least in the minds of most of the Jews, is that they were the ones who kept all the rules and the laws of the Old Testament and all the laws of Judaism, all the extra laws that the Pharisees came up with. <clears throat> These are the people that kept them all. They were like the goodest people of all the good people, all right? I know that's not good grammar, but you get what I'm saying. He, they were so good. Everybody looked at them and go, hey, if God loves anybody, it's those guys over there, those Pharisees. I mean, they got it together. Amazing. I wish we, we could be like them, right? And then on the other side, he's got a tax collector which were the most hated and vehemently despised of all the Jewish people. These men were Jews that were hired by the Roman government to collect Roman taxes from the Jews, but were notoriously overcharging, lining their own pockets and getting rich off their own people. They were pushing their people further, further into destitute poverty. And they didn't seem to really care. They were getting richer and richer while everybody else was getting poorer and poorer. Therefore, the Jews would say, we hate the tax collectors. They're like traitors. They're like legalized 
thieves. Like they, they can just steal from us however much they want. And the Romans won't stop them. They hated them. So here's these two guys. They're going into the temple to pray. And here's what he says. This is a Pharisee. The camera goes, two guys walking up. The camera follows the, the Pharisee. And he's standing over by himself in a loud voice, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I, I want you to notice I'm highlighting all the eyes, okay? I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector, which is probably all three. You know, like he's probably doing everything bad. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So let me first say, the, the things that the Pharisee, first of all, let me say this. He didn't go to the temple to pray. He went to the temple to talk about how great he was to anybody within earshot, okay? That's what he was really there to do. All these statements about, so he's talking to God about how great he is, right? The whole time, it's all about him. And he's doing a couple of things, let me just say, are good things, but he's doing them for the wrong reasons. Like fasting twice a week. Jesus, even later in this Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how fasting is actually a good thing. And he explains to us how to do fasting properly. We'll get that later on. But <clears throat> he also is saying, and I, and I give a tenth of all my income. I tithe the 10% of everything that I get, I give as an act of worship back to God. And this is a great thing. This is awesome. This is something we teach here at Brazos Fellowship, to be a percentage giver, to give a tenth. It's like it is a faith-stretching hard thing to do for most of us, but God honors it, and he blesses that, and it's a good thing. So these things that he's doing, are, it's not that they're bad things. He's doing it to support his self-righteous personal image that he's trying to uphold, right? In other words, this um, Pharisee has come to the temple and is using as his standard of righteousness other people. We always got to be careful that we are not using, especially with God, as our standard for what is right and wrong, all the other people around us. And that is exactly what he was doing. And he was saying, well, God, I mean, compared to the robbers and evildoers and adulterers and even the tax collector, I mean, God, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but wow, I'm way better than them. I mean, whew, forgive me, but I'm pretty awesome compared to those people, right? And when we go to compare ourselves with people, we tend to pick people like that. Jesus is basically showing us what wasn't just true of the first century. He's telling us what's true of every century. This is human nature to do this. And he's saying, I want you to be careful and check out what he's doing here. And he's beginning to make it all about him, and he's using as a standard other people. But then, he, uh, and he knows that since he feels like he's doing better than other people, then God must be pleased with him, and he's got nothing to worry about. Like, me and you, God, we're good. All these other suckers out here, I mean, they haven't been even trying, and I'm like so much better than them. And then the camera pans over to the tax collector, and he is far, like on the other side of the room, we're told. And this is what Jesus says. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, he didn't try to go stand right next to the Pharisee. He would not even look up to heaven. I want you to notice his posture. 
Posture is important when we get alone in prayer time with God. Let your posture reflect what's really in your heart. I encourage you, to, maybe you get down, you kneel down, you, you, you bow your head, you focus. Maybe close your eyes, maybe you don't, but you let that posture be reflected. Jesus is describing what this man's doing. And beat his breast. He didn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, let's say it together, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, it, God, if there was ever anybody that needed mercy, it's this guy right here. It's me, God. Me, a sinful tax collector. I'm not even going to play games. I'm not even going to try to try to f- trick you into thinking I'm some like amazing, perfect Christian at all. I'm not going to do that. You're a holy God. You know everything anyway. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I'm just going to be totally open and real with you. And since, since when he came before God, he didn't use other people as a standard. You see, immediately he uses God himself, God's holiness and his righteousness. That is his standard for righteousness. And because of that, he knew, God, I fall way short of your standard of righteousness. My only hope in this life is to cry out for your mercy. That's it. And guess what? Later, the Apostle Paul in Romans, when he's writing to the the, the church or the Christians that are in Rome, chapter 3, verse 23, he says, for all, he talks about all people, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all people have fallen short of the glory of God. Just in case you think there actually is one of these Pharisees somewhere out there that exists, somebody who's good enough, they don't. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody comes before God like the tax collector. Everybody comes before God, correctly coming before God, looking at him and saying, you are the standard for righteousness, not anybody else I know. And I can't come on my own righteousness. I can't come trying to be will, savior for will. I can't somehow come in on my own merit. I have to receive your unmerited forgiveness and grace. That's what grace means. It's unmerited favor or unmerited forgiveness of God. We come in on God's grace, period. That's all we have. And Jesus was teaching that here. He was saying, you need to understand every one of you and me too, we all desperately have to have the mercy of God. We all have to have it. And this guy cries out for it, and he's honest enough about it. I love this. And then I love the next line where Jesus says, I tell you this man, I tell you this man, he's talking about the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified. And justified, I wanted to define it for you, it means being declared righteous. He's actually righteous before God, not the other guy. And I have to tell you, Even though this doesn't maybe shock you, in Jesus' day when he was originally telling the story, this would have created a collective (gasps) gasp among his people like, what? I thought I knew who the the, the villain and the hero of this story was, but I was wrong, Jesus. He's like, you're exactly right, you're wrong. It is all about the heart. God looks in the heart. He wants to know what's going on in your heart. Now that heart's gonna be manifested into the life You can't say, well, there's one thing in my heart, but then I act like, you know, 
completely the antithesis in my life. Like, there needs to be a consistent continuity there. And I love this, that he was, he understood that he needed God's mercy. He had to plead for it, and we do too. And I love how Jesus ends the whole parable. He says this. Let's go to the next one. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's saying, you need to let God lift you up, that you will humble yourself before God, cry out for his mercy. And Jesus is showing us until we get serious enough about our relationship with God, until we come to a place where we're saying, I'm willing to humble myself before God, you will always, please hear me, you will always think God owes you something. You will always think he ought to be doing more for me until you fully, completely begin to realistically realize who you are and what you are before God and that we are all crying out for mercy. It was Jesus' point here. The point of the whole parable is self-righteousness is dangerous. It's destructive because it will rob you of what God wants to teach you. It will distort your vision to where you overestimate yourself and underestimate other people, and you will look down on people. You will overinflate your own ego, and you will think God somehow owes you something, and this will mess you up. And this kind of pride will cause a person to despise other people. It blinds us to what God wants to show us. And it blinds us from being able to find the blessing of showing mercy to people around us in this life. And one of the things it does is we kind of go back and reflect one more time on Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are those who the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is showing us there is this inseparable link between the vertical relationship in our life with God and the horizontal relationship that we have with people, whether it's enemies or allies, okay? There is this tendency in human beings throughout history and right down to this moment to try to break this weld right here. And Jesus says you can't do it. There is an inseparable link and this is where people sabotage their relationship with God all the time, is that they try to act like, oh, my relationship with God doesn't really have anything to do with or very little to do with how I treat other people, especially my enemies over here. Like, I'm good with my ally, people, my allies, but the moment that they betray me and I have to throw them over there, then like, I'm done. I am, I'm, not, I'm not even gonna try. I'm not even gonna try to show them love, no mercy, no grace, no nothing. Forget it. But me and God, we're good. Right? Jesus is like, you can't play like that. That is not how my kingdom works. You cannot act like that. One of the reoccurring themes that you will see throughout the Sermon on the Mount is he's showing us there is an inseparable link between our relationship with God, the vertical, and our relationship with other people, the horizontal. Jesus is trying to show us we can't divorce us. We cannot separate. We can't break that weld. They are always going to be connected. And Jesus repeatedly emphasizes how we treat other people will determine how our Heavenly Father will treat us. This was hard to hear in Jesus' day. It is still hard to hear today. 
And Jesus, over and over, I mean, when he's giving us the Lord's Prayer, right? He's saying, Father, when he tells us about forgiveness, he says, pray that the Lord will forgive, Father, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Like, do you see that it, 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 what's implied there is that you're willing and you're actively forgiving someone else, therefore you get forgiven. Jesus talks about this all the time. It gets missed a lot. But if Jesus was serious, if we're really going to take him seriously, then we can't separate our relationship from God, with God, and our relationship with others. They are inseparable. In fact, throughout church history, and you can check, fact check me on this, every time in history that the church, the Christian church, or any religious group, but we can go as broad as you want to go, every time that they separated the relationship with God from the relationship with people, every time that it was so common for people to use God to justify mistreating other people. Some group of people. In the, in the kind of philosophical, logical approach was to them, and it was a marred one, it was one that was messed up, it was one that was distorted because of their pride, was, well, God hates them, so we're justified in hating them. So we can pretty much treat them however we want to treat them. And we can get away with it. Because God doesn't agree with them. And that has never been what Jesus taught. He never was like, oh yeah, you go ahead and divorce those two, treat them however you want, and I'll be good with it in the end. But that is something that he called us to say, always pay close attention to how you are treating. If you say you love God, you better pay close attention to how you're loving other people, especially the people closest to you in your life. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John comes back and drills down deep on this in 1 John chapter 4. I love this. Years later, he's taking this teaching of Jesus and he's saying, once again, let me remind all of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, don't take this lightly. Here's what he says, starting with verse 20. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a, let's say it together, is a, a liar. Wow. I wasn't kidding when I said this is going to be hard to hear, right? Who is it in your life that you have justified hating? Who is it in your life where you're like, I'm good, I don't really have to love them, I don't have to care about them, I don't have to show any mercy or grace to them. He says, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, it is easy to love God when we think the only really prerequisite to loving God is church attendance on Sunday. Now, I am so glad you are here, even on Sundays when it's hard to hear the message, right? Even when it's challenging and it's like, wow, this is going to make me, make me have to rethink and re talk about some things with some people. I'm going to have to reapproach how I treat people completely, absolutely. But if we are truly going to say we love God, we cannot neglect other people who are made in the image of Almighty God. We can't do that. Now, because we love them in compassion, we can speak truth and love to those people. It doesn't mean, it's not loving to not ever speak truth. It's not loving to see somebody on a train track and here comes the train and you so there's an inevitability that's coming, a judgment that's coming, and you don't ever say anything. That's not loving. That's not compassionate. There are times we're going to need to say something, but we do not come from this angle. 
of like, I'm better than you because people pick on, up on that so fast. Well, if you're gonna come with your high horse condemning judgmental attitude, then this is over. I don't even wanna hear. But if they know you love them, you care about them, that changes the entire, that could be a game changer, change the entire environment of the conversation. It's incredible. John ends by saying, and he, he's talking about God here, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. In other words, if we're gonna take Jesus seriously, then the way that we show love to God is how we treat those created in his image. That's how we do it. Jesus said over and over, don't try to divorce these, the vertical from the horizontal. They are always and forever connected. I want you to see that, and I want you to think about the way that you treat. So what kind of reputation do you have at work, at home, in your neighborhood, the people who live around you in your apartment complex, on your street, in your, your neighborhood, the, the people in your, your, your dormitory, the people that you, you, your roommates, or your spouse, or your kids? How do you treat them? How do you speak to them? Does it reflect the God that you say you love? This is such an important question we have to ask. This is getting missed by so many people who claim to be a part of the Christian community of our day. There is so much hatred and vitriol, especially online of comments and things shared about other people that they feel like they're so much better than instead of compassion and hurt and love that the truth is shared in. Let me ask you a question. Who has he put in your life that needs mercy? Who has God put in your life right now? Maybe somebody in your family that is in that place. I mean, they're going through something that's miserable. They're a little helpless right now. They're hurting. Maybe this is... Maybe this is somebody else in somebody else's family. Maybe this is somebody at work. Maybe this is somebody in your life you would say, they don't deserve mercy. Guess what? Neither did the tax collector. Neither did you or me. They don't expect it either. But it could change everything for them. If somebody who claimed to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a follower of Jesus Christ, was willing to love them and serve them, they might go, oh, wow, there's something so much more to this, this, this Jesus person that I ever dreamed. And maybe today, this is where we need to begin, to just say, God, show me who that is. Show me who you've put in my life today that I need to love and that I need to show mercy to today. Essentially what Jesus is telling us, he's saying, I want you to, on the regular, to make the tax collector's prayer your prayer. It should be my prayer, right? Every single day we need mercy, right? Every day we need mercy. And he says, if you don't think you do, you're deluded. You're, you're, you're edging over into the Pharisee territory. Careful, careful. Those people are distorted and blinded. They don't see themselves or anyone else, the whole world. It's kind of, they're looking through a distorted lens. 
They're not acting based on reality, but a false version of reality. Jesus is trying to help us to see, here's how the universe actually works. This is what God actually is looking for. So don't let pride in yourself or in your achievements cut you off from God, cut you off from the blessing of being a mercy giver to other people who don't deserve it. That he's saying, I want you to be the one to show mercy to this person. So today, as you go to the grocery store, you go to have lunch, you're going to be doing whatever you're doing today and throughout your week, would you just be open to say, God, show me people around me that I could give an act of mercy to and that I could show them your love through this mercy. And maybe there's an open door that you'll get to be able to share with them why you're being merciful because you belong to the Most High God and that Jesus did this and you're honoring that relationship by acting like Jesus to them. And you just wanted to do it to show them love. That's it. You don't want anything in return. That's it. What a beautiful gift to give to somebody. Here's our application prayer today. It's simply saying, God, I have, uh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is just taking the tax collector's prayer and making it our own. This is so important to be able to do this. And maybe for some of you, this will be the first prayer that you've ever had with God or maybe the first one in a long time. And maybe this will be the beginning of a relationship that will last throughout all eternity for you as we go into prayer in just a minute. And then ask him, please show me how to show mercy to anyone you place in my heart. Maybe it's somebody they will come across your path today or this week, or maybe it's somebody that you don't physically cross their path, but they cross your mind and if they cross your mind multiple times, I would just encourage you to take that as a cue from God. Reach out to that person. Call them. Text them. Tell them that you love them. Encourage them. Let them know you're praying for them. Just extend some mercy to them. I truly believe God wants us to be mercy givers far more than we are currently. And this might be the morning, this might be the day that becomes the catalyst for an avalanche of all kinds of mercy that God gets to show through us to a world that gets people's attention and turns them back to Him. But we got to stop letting our pride stop us from doing that. No, I can't do that. That would be awkward. And it's all about me. And what is that going to make me feel like? And how is that going to make them look at me or think about me? And stop all the I, I, I stuff, right? God, what do you want? And what would be best for them? Simply put, if you would, let's bow together in prayer and ask God to lead us forward, to take him seriously, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God, we come before you right now, and we thank you so much for this beautiful insight into how to live our life today. If we claim that we love you, but we do not love the brothers and sisters around us, we're liars. Either we don't really mean that we love you, or we haven't really come to terms with what it means to love you. We're just like little children saying words that we don't even understand what they mean. I pray, God, that that stops today. That all across this room, we would say, God, I do love you. And I take that very seriously. And I also simultaneously realize that I need to take seriously the way I treat other people who are made in your image. Would you tell him that right now? God, I am taking seriously the way I treat other people who are made in your image. 
I'm not going to let my culture, my family tradition, my income level, my education level, my socioeconomic level, any of these constraints within our society, I'm not going to let any of that dictate to me how I'm going to show mercy to other people. I want your spirit to guide me and lead me in this. As a citizen of your kingdom, you are my king. You are the one who calls my shots. I follow you. And may that ring true throughout my life at every level. Would you tell him that right now? Jesus, you are my king. I follow you. And help me to follow you in the way I treat other people all throughout my life. If right here, right now, you know that God is telling you, I need you to show mercy to someone. And you would be willing. You might not even know exactly who that is yet, but you would just say, God, I'm willing. I am open. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Anybody here would be willing to say, I want to be a conduit through which your mercy can flow. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your openness. Over here in the balcony, in the floor, God, we praise you for, God, for this incredible opportunity. What a beautiful gift to give to a world that desperately needs it. There is so little mercy. Everybody's looking out for, number one, what they can get out of it. God, what a gift that we could show up and just say, I'm just here to bless you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you see God. We're saying, yes, God, use us. Use us. You may lower your hands. And God, I pray for every person in this room right now that maybe for the very first time is saying to you, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm asking for forgiveness. I want to follow you. Would you just pray that right where you sit? Just like the tax collector. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. If you're praying that for the first time and you're asking Jesus Christ to come into your life right now, would you just ask him, Lord, I pray that you come into my, you would lead me from this day forward. And you're doing that for the very first time right now, really meaning it from your heart. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Every person who's saying, yes, I'm making that commitment right now, right here. God bless you right back here. Anybody in the balcony, the floor, anywhere, giving this over to Jesus right now. Anybody else? Father, we thank you so much for your love today. God, I pray you would help us to be those who are willing to carry your ministry of mercy out into the world and that we could be able to show the love of Jesus to those around us in such a tangible way that it is undeniable and is irresistible and that people are forced to be drawn to you and brought to you and that we would invite them with us even next Sunday. We love you. And we praise you for all of your goodness for us and your mercy for us. We pray it all in the incredible name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week and we'll see you back next Sunday. Once again, thanks for listening. 
If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.